0: David, King David. Um, David has a lot of ups and downs in his, uh, in his reign as king, especially leading into it. A lot of ups. When he becomes king, a lot of downs. (laughs) He, he falls into a lot of sins as he is, uh, as he is ruling. But as he's coming into his rule, um, a lot of very, very good things. You can really see his faith and why God is, um, is with him, and that God is with him is seen in the various things in his faith. So, the first place we see that is against Goliath in First uh, Samuel chapter 17. I'm not going to recount the whole David and Goliath thing. Um, you know, David wins. We know that. But um, what I what I do want to point out is this. You know, so so Goliath is this really tall guy. Very, you know, he's sort of their Philistine champion. And uh, it was sort of a thing that if you had a if you had a champion fighter and you had another champion fighter on the other side to just let them sort of duke it out and sort of avoid all the bloodshed and um, it, it's also kind of showing that maybe Israel didn't have a whole lot of good strategy at that point. I mean Saul really isn't being strategic in his stuff. Um, so so Goliath comes out and he challenges Israel to send out their champion. To, uh, to come and fight him. Now, who was the tallest guy in Israel sort of at that point? Oh. Saul was. So who's the guy who should be going out and fighting him? Oh. Saul should go out and fight him, but he's not, which is sort of that uh, giving up of, of his role as, you know, they wanted, you know, no, we want a king over us who will fight our battles and things like that. Well, Who was the king who had fought all of Israel's battles up to that point? God had. God had literally fought the battles for them. They just had to, just stand there and be quiet, right? That was what he said. Yes, yeah, yeah, show up and, oh, hey, everybody's dead. Okay, that's great. But now Goliath comes out and he's challenging his people and nobody will fight him. In fact, he's offering up kind of a ransom to whoever would step up and actually challenge Goliath back. Well, David shows up, um, his his dad sends him out there to say, hey, you know, go check on the battles and things. Um, there's some suggestion that gives us a little information about how old David might be at this time. Uh Conscription into the army was about 20 years old. And the fact that David's brothers are there, conscripted into the army, but David is not, means he's maybe not of that fighting age yet. Um, so 20-ish, you know, maybe he's got some skill, but not, he's not been conscripted yet. So he goes down and he sees what's going on. And he sees Goliath come out and, and make the big challenge and things. And David's like, what is going on? And that's what I want to pick up on. Verse 24. Um, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled and were much afraid. Run away! Because he's big and tall and scary. Men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Um, that means free from taxes. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good offer there, isn't it, you know? Um, David said to the men, Well, what's going to be done for the man who kill? See, see, look at David's perspective on this. What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? See, he doesn't see this as, as solely a, a military issue or a political issue, but this is a disgrace for Israel for them to be treated this way. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David immediately turns it. It's not a political thing for David. It's all about what? It's all about God. David is offended because Goliath is, is um, not fearing the true God. Who's defying the armies of the living God? You defy the armies of the living God, you're defying God. And that's David's you know, that's what gets David hot under the collar is that, you know, he's this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning he's an unbeliever, not part of the covenant, and that, that he should defy the armies. You know, this is, this is David's big thing. So he goes into Saul and he says, Hey, I'll fight him. Well, who are you? You're just this little kid. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Uh, Who had the the right perspective there? (laughs) It's exactly right. I mean, David is really David is drawing his strength and confidence from the from what he knows, what he has learned, growing up. Jesse teaching him, you know, that that God fights for His people. uh, David's confidence is completely in the living God. And, and won't stand to let this Philistine mouth off to him. Um, by the way, there was actually a, uh, a type of lion that lived in the uh, Palestinian areas. Um, I think up to about the 1400s or something it said. I did a little, I, there was a little study note on that one. I was like, really? I always wondered about that. I was like, there are no lions in Israel? Well, there were. So he fought them off. Which, which tells me, what does that tell you about David? Either brave or just stupid—I <laughs> don't know—but <laughs> but definitely brave. And you know the Lord was indeed with him, and he's pretty pretty cunning, pretty pretty strong guy. I mean, he fought off bears and lions. I mean. Pshhh. But it seems to me that the people who saw him anointed didn't take much. Uh, you know, he didn't get much credit for that. They've been trying to protect him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was their brothers, and when he showed up at the field for for battle, you know, just. Well, yeah, he brought gifts and stuff like that. Smart thing. But um, they were like, what are you doing here? You know, and even when he started saying, well, you know, who's causing all this trouble? And they're like getting on his case for it. This is a lot like Joseph and and his brother. There's a lot of jealousy there. I mean, that's what's really sad. You're right. They should have looked at it and said, hey, this is God's anointed. You know, let's rejoice over that. Instead, they're like, our little brother just got anointed. Forget him. (laughs) So, You know, this is just a good example of David's faith against, um, against unbelief. And then in the battle itself, he goes up and what does he say to, 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 um, Goliath? You come with me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You know, there's his confidence. I mean, he is completely putting the credit for the victory on God. He, he's already won the battle in the next statement. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Yep. It, he's talking about it, you know, in, in the, it, like it's a done deal already. This, this will happen, you know, the, the prophecy of that. And uh, uh, Saul had actually tried to give David his armor, you know, put his armor and things on that. There's a couple things with that, actually. One is, it, armor was sort of custom made if it was like chainmail, if it was even metal, it is sort of custom made. If anybody's ever had a back surgery and you have to wear a, a brace of some kind to kind of keep things fitted, it's got to be fitted to that individual or it doesn't doesn't work. It leaves gaps and then that's a place of vulnerability or it restricts movement. So for, for Saul to give David his own armor, remember Saul is tall and David is a young man of some sort. We don't know he's short necessarily, but he is a young man. Um, and also, there's also this idea that uh if you put on somebody's armor, you sort of get the um was that? Yeah, no, it's true. You kind of get the the ethos of that person. You're sort of, you know, sort of clothed in that person's valor or something like that. Well, think about that. What is Saul always interested in? Making sure that other people see kind of what's happening and things. So David goes and fights Goliath. He's wearing Saul's armor. Guess who can take credit? Huh? I thought that was an interesting observation. David says, I can't wear this. I mean, he goes out, I mean, totally unprepared. He's got nothing to defend himself. He's got, what, five smooth stones in his sling and a staff in his hand. You know? Holy Spirit. And the name of the Lord of Hosts. Anybody remember when we talked about the Lord of Hosts? What what that what that means? Yahweh Sabaot, the God of the armies. This is he, he uses sort of he he invokes God's fighting name. You know this is not uh, um, El Shaddai, you know God of peace. This is uh <laughs> this is Yahweh Sabaot. This is the God of the angel armies that uh, I come against you with. And the name of the Lord is on his side. Wow. And where God's name is, there he is. And so David comes in with, with great confidence. And not only, it's like, I'm not only going to cut off your head, but I'm giving give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines to the birds and the wild beasts. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It's always pointing back to, to God. Uh, God saves not with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. I mean that's faith that is confidence I mean going into all our battles against temptation and the world and sickness and conflict whatever it is in our in our personal lives against you know for you know Goliath you know some sometimes our Goliath is all these different I mean for David Goliath was a big scary guy for us our Goliath is you know our temptation, our sin. Things that we're inclined toward—fear, worry, gossip, whatever it might might be—but David is totally confident that he has the victory. It's already a done deal. And, you know, against our sin, that's how we can look at at Satan and temptation and these things. We can say, you know what? The victory has already been given into my hand, into the hands of Jesus. It's already won. It's already mine. This day, we'll just look on the. You know, these Egyptians who you see before you, you will never see again. You know, this, this temptation has no accusation against you. This, this champion who, who is, is trying to presume that he has more power than you, uh, the more power than your Lord is already a vanquished foe. The serpent's head is already crushed. It's a done deal. We can, we can speak in those same terms about Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil. So, and of course, David wins, and uh, does he, he cuts off Goliath's head with his own sword? With, with you know, he he hits Goliath, and uh then he comes over and he doesn't have a sword, so he takes Goliath's sword. You can kind of see this guy; <laughs> it's, it's a big sword. <laughs> and then they're like, "Get him!" And all the Philistines are like, ah! And they split, and they chase him back, and they they win that victory there. So, and. You know, Saul is kind of, Saul has like amnesia. He's like, who is that kid? <laughs> you know, the one that played the harp for you? Um, some people have questions about that, too. It's like, how did David, how does Saul sort of like forget who David is? You know, he's like, isn't that the one that played the harp for you and things like that? Well, think about this a little bit, though. You got the king and you got this kid who comes in, plays the harp. You know, do you ever really pay much attention I don't think he would pay much attention to it. I think he would, he was kind of full of himself, and so it was sort of like, oh yeah, I really love that heart player because it works good for me, but he would come and go and, you know, just, he was just sort of, you know, the butler, you know, the sort of, even lower than the butler. even Yeah, just behind the scenes and stuff. So it doesn't totally surprise me that Saul was sort of like, wait a minute, who is that kid? Where's his family again? Well, he's been in your service from time to time, but so have a lot of people probably, right? So that doesn't really, that doesn't trouble me too much. Um, another example um, would be in uh, chapter twenty-four. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute against Saul, but uh, um, he again shows faith even in the midst of Saul as an enemy. But we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, chapter eighteen talks about David and Jonathan. Um, you'll you'll sometimes get this sort of progressive attempt at saying, you know, oh, look at how they talk about the relationship between David and Jonathan. Like it's some sort of homosexual love or something that they had for each other. Because, you know, um, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Um Verse 3, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. He stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and successful wherever Saul went him, wherever Saul sent him. The, the language that's used there about loving him as his own soul is not ever used in terms of romance. It's never used in the terms of any sort of um, erotic love but rather of um, brotherly or covenant love. Like they they are bound together in an agreement that 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 Jonathan gives him his loyalty. And, and they're held fast as friends and and as brothers. It's it it is a deep connection, it is a, it is a profound love for two people, but it is not used in terms of, of romance. There are other words for that. There are other words for that even between men. There's just different words for that kind of activity. And it's not even hinted at here. Um, so it's, to to have that suggested is just kind of ridiculous. So, Kathy? Jonathan is Saul's son. One of Saul's sons. And it's interesting because Saul and David, or David and Jonathan will have several interactions where John, Jonathan protects David from Saul. And David swears to take care of Jonathan's family later on. And actually, one of Jonathan's children, David ends up taking care of in his own home because he's he's crippled. And, and David doesn't kill him like he could. You know, the rival maybe the true heir of the throne, but instead he takes him in and cares for him. So it really shows that David had a love for Jonathan as well. The robe and the armor, the sword and the bow and the belt all these things being handed over to david what is jonathan telling david at that moment he's he's abdicating his 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 throne he's saying i'm not going to challenge you in fact i'm going to stand with you cuz jonathan would be the king, one of the heirs you know or if not if not the oldest you know he would have been the next one and by by taking off the robe, that's the the kingly garment, but also the articles of war. I'm not going to fight against you. I'm going to fight with you. And so that's really a a covenant act of loyalty toward David. That's, That's very significant, because there's going to be things coming up now where Saul is going to be fighting against David, where Jonathan should be against David, but chooses not to. And he, he remains true to his, to his word. Well, yeah, um, and, and really he's nobody in the kingdom until he comes on the scene in Goliath, in defeating Goliath and now going out and winning victories. He is now, um, publicly demonstrating that the Lord is with him, that the Lord is on David's side against Saul now. Because, yes, David is anointed king. Um, but Saul is the king. And so what you really had is, is David anointed as successor, but God turned against Saul, hasn't removed him from the position yet. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, we, you know, we think of, um, well, God anointed David king, and so now Saul loses his authority, and now he's out, and David's in. Well, How to establish that? How do you substantiate that? How do you demonstrate that? How do you get anyone's loyalty toward David? Whereas Saul is the king and has the loyalty of the armies and things. Whereas David comes up and says, well, I'm the king now. So, (laughs) you know, um, nobody cares. So we're not going to listen to you. So what God does is he lays out a path for David to establish and, and show God is on David's side, not Saul's side anymore, so that, so that the, the populace goes with David, and so that when Saul does die, David's claim on the throne is clear. And Saul will die in, in just a few chapters, but until, and, the, and really that's the only way that Saul would be removed from the kingship is to die. Um, it, well, you mean like the judges, you mean, or what are you thinking? Okay, because, yeah, the, the judges thing, they would rule for a time, then they would die, and then there would be that time of falling away, and then God would raise up somebody else. There was no like lineage of anything. God would just call on them, and they would be raised up. And they would confirm that through prophecy and signs, um, ways of confirming that they are the ones that God has chosen as judge. In this case, you've got two raised up at the same time you've got Saul who got established and put in place and really instead of sending a foreign enemy to come and demonstrate that, that to overthrow Saul, he sends David who who overthrows Saul internally, if you will. Um, and then when Saul dies, then David is able to, he does have to sort of fight off for his claim to the throne, but, uh, but then it's established, and the people have the loyalty toward him because of what he has demonstrated in, in fighting the Philistines and things like that. It makes me wonder how many people were actually there when he was anointed then. It looks like just his family. Yeah, it looks like just his family and Samuel were at, were at the anointing. And that he was anointed by Samuel for, for something. You know, it's it's like... I remember reading through that. I don't know how explicit it was for for Samuel to say he's anointed to be the king. I think that would be kind of terrifying for Jesse and the crew to sort of say, "Our son just got anointed king?" Does that mean we're you know, are we uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um tre- is this treasonous? You know, cuz we're just, if we're going to call him king, then we got to say Saul isn't the king. I'm not saying that. Um but he anointed him, so from their perspective, it could be, okay, David's been chosen for something. And what do we begin to see? Well, he, he defeats Goliath. He goes out against the armies. Um, and they say, ah, David is the chosen one of God. God is with him, giving him these victories, giving him success wherever he goes against Saul, where Saul isn't. God is clearly withdrawing himself from Saul and giving himself toward David. So I think the reason it didn't just sort of happen in an immediate transition is, I mean, in, in large part, the practicalities of David needs the support of the people. And that's what he establishes in defeating Goliath and the victories that he'll have next. And it's not very long that they get Saul has killed his thousands, David has tens of thousands. Even though he hadn't killed tens of thousands by that point, but they were already started of saying David is surpassing Saul. Our loyalty is with him. And uh, what's what's really interesting is how almost toward the end, <laughs> even Saul acknowledges it that David is next. And that's what we're going to look at in, in chapters 24: is is David and Saul interacting during the chase? Because <laughs> you know, if this were a movie, we'd be coming into the chase scene now. Where you got antagonist, protagonist, and now you got the chase scene. Saul is chasing David all around the countryside and, you know, David's hiding out and things. Um, David and Saul have two interactions with each other that again speaks to David's faithfulness toward God and integrity. And then Saul's response of sort of acknowledging David is next. Right. Yeah, because you look at chapter sixteen. David is, you know, Samuel knows, and uh, you know, the Lord says to Samuel, "I've rejected him, Saul, as king over Israel. I'll send you to Jesse, for I've a king among his sons." Um. He gets to Jesse, says, I've come to sacrifice, consecrate yourselves and come. Um, there's no mention, you know, he's saying, come to me to the sacrifice. Okay, you're the prophet, we'll do that. Verse 6, the first son, nope, he thought this, nope. The Lord says, don't look at his appearance. And they look at all the sons. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Yeah, I don't know that there is a clear chosen for what at that point to Jesse and the others. No, that had not yet been prophesied. All we know at this point is that it would be of the, the tribe of uh, Judah. And we do know that. Um, you know, Samuel says, Jesse, wait for the ones to come. They get David there. Samuel anoints him, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that time forward and went up to Ramah so um, yeah, I don't necessarily know that there's like this explicit sense of oh, now he's the king um, I'd have to look I'm going to look into that a little bit more more closely to see you know was it was it anointing only. Suggesting kingship or just chosen for something? I'll, I'll look into it a little bit. What is, what for That's a good question. Yeah, I think it would have been uh, prophecy, um, kingship, um, priesthoods, you know, spiritual leadership. It's, it's a setting aside of somebody for something special. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 d- head, yeah. Head. yeah. head, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So, but I'll look into that a little more. It'll be fun to look at. So, All right. Um, let's see. So, we've got uh, now the chase scene David and Saul running around the countryside being chased after. Lots of different things happen in there. I'd love to get into all those different stories with uh, the eating the bread and then, you know, saving the towns and, you know, all these kinds of things. It'd make a good story. But, I want to focus particularly on two times that David spares Saul's life. Um, The first is in chapter 24. Um, Yeah, Saul goes into the cave to go to the bathroom. No kidding. And uh, David was already in the back of the cave. (laughs) You know, which... I was kind of thinking about this. It's like, you ever been in a cave? And, you know, you say, you like, they had to be really quiet. Because like one little noise in a cave goes just like, makes tons of noise. But nevertheless, David's already in the back of the cave. And his, his friends are like, hey. Verse uh, 4. This is the day the Lord said, I'll give you your enemy into your hand. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That's how close David was. So he could have just... Dab him in the back, right? Whatever it would have been. That's right. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut the corner off of Saul's robe and said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, did not permit them to attack Saul. He rose and left the cave and went on his way. Um you know that that's significant cuz in david's eyes though david knows that the lord is against saul he still uh he's still the king and he won't raise his hand against him he's going to let god take care of that in his time he won't be the instrument of it and what's really interesting is ultimately when saul dies he commits suicide with the help of his sword bearer and he comes and reports that this to David, and David kills the sword bearer. And he says, "You helped the Lord's anointed kill himself. That is a grievous sin. You should not. You you, you raised your hand. You did not protect the Lord's anointed one, and so gave him a sentence of death too." David had a very high view of God's choosing, even as God has rejected him as king. Still wanted Saul as a child of God, and so, so David would not raise his hand against him. So as Saul is leaving the, the cave, David comes out from behind him. Yes, Dean? Cool no, it's all right. Why would God wait? Why would he let Saul stay there when he knows that that's not the one he wants? To be? What's- yeah, it's a good question. It is a good question. Um I, I don't know the exact answer. Yeah. Jeannie? Maybe it has something to do with, and this is just pure conjecture, that um, showing that David is waiting on God's time and not choosing the importance of doing that. And yeah. Um, you know, like you've got, you know, Abraham and Sarah trying to push the issues and, you know, for offspring and things, and he says, all right, I'm the anointed. I'm waiting on God's time to establish me, not. Me establish myself could be, but why isn't God? Why doesn't God just have the Philistines come in and take out Saul and boom, it's over? It's a good question, Tony. You know that's true too. Um, to sort of give them the time in that cycle of um, you know of rebellion. And being taken over by that, you know, being occupied, you know, they, they sort of suffer under Saul for a time so that when David does arise, they see a clear distinction between the two. I think that's a pretty good observation. You know, sometimes when God sort of lets, you know, when we beg God for, (laughs) for what's not good for us and he says, fine, I'm going to let you, I'm going to hand you over to your, to your own desires for a time. Um, and it still grieves his heart i mean cuz he you know god regretted that he had made saul king and it, it 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 sorrowed him and i think that's just really interesting that even david still saw you know even as saul was was completely you know abandoning god and it's going to get worse if it hadn't already it's going to get worse he's going to go Summons up a, a witch and try to summon up dead people and talk to them and all this kind of stuff. Um, David still won't take into his hands what he leaves to the Lord. I think it's an interesting, and it's not a. I don't think that's a commentary on Saul. It's not a commentary on David's loyalty to Saul. It's got. It's. It's a commentary on David's loyalty toward God. Um, yeah. I think it's more about God than about Saul. You're right. I mean, what I hear you say, in, impeach him, or you know, let's, let's have a coup, you know? <laughs> let's. <laughs> Sarah's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Selective. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's impeachment at the edge of a sword. All right. So David comes out from behind him. And he says, hey <laughs> looky what I got. He says, behold, this day your eyes have seen. The Lord gave me into your hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand. For the, By the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. You know, Saul was after David, but David had never demonstrated a desire to overthrow Saul. He had always followed Saul's orders, attacked who Saul told him to attack, and, and, you know, put up with Saul's garbage with the daughters and who's going to marry who. He, he did all these things, and Saul is accusing him of, you know, trying to chase him down and trying to kill him. And David, you know, had the chance to do it. He says, I even had the chance to do it. And I am not against you. I am not here to overthrow you. I am not, I am not treasonous. You pursue me for no reason. It really establishes him in the right. And all the people, you got to see all the soldiers around him sort of saying, dude, Saul, he is not trying to kill you. He had you. You know, why are we chasing him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't memory but I remember the scene in the cave and cutting off the robe. Yeah. And, and they got the- yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty vivid. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really what it's establishing is David saying, "I am not trying to overthrow you. I could have, but I'm not. God's going to take care of that on his own time." He does it again in 26, um, David and one of his generals go into the camp by night, Saul is asleep, his spear is in the ground next to his head. The army is all around him. And what does um, Abishai say? Hey, God's given your enemy into your hand again. Pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. You know, Or let me do it. <laughs> but David says, don't destroy him. Who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or this day will come to die or he will go down into par- in battle and perish. The Lord should f- forbid that I should put up my hand against the Lord's anointed. Take the spear and the jar of water and let us go. And basically does the same thing again. Says, look, you want to know where your spear went? I got it. And I didn't kill you. And I could have again. Stop chasing me. I'm not trying to kill you. You're coming after me. So... And eventually David ends up going and um, um, actually working a little freelance for the Philistines against other enemies, which are still kind of to, to Israel's favor that they're defeated, but David has to run. Um, in between those two events, something very important happens. Chapter 25, Samuel dies. Well, you know, it happens. Long mourning period for uh, for Samuel and they buried him at his house in Ramah. The whole thing about David and Abigail, that's very interesting. should read it sometime. Chapter 26, David spares Saul again. Um, oh, sorry, I put that wrong on your uh, handout. Samuel dies, it's chapter 26. 25, I mean. Chapter 28. Now here's where Saul is really hitting, hitting the end. Um, uh, just one second. Go back to twenty-six, verse twenty-one, chapter twenty-six, verse twenty-one. This is Saul's response to the jug and the spear. Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And, uh, Saul said to David, verse 25, blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. You now, so this is, I think, is Saul sort of beginning to realize, yeah, I'm done. And David's, David's next. You know, even Saul's realizing that, all right. All right, now into 28. The witch of Endor. (laughs) You're like, what? No, it's really. He goes and uh, the Philistines are encamped against them and wants to know whether he should fight them or not or what's going to happen or not. And so, uh, verse 6, Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So God has gone silent to Samuel, or gone silent to Saul. So Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And they said, there is one at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, and he and two of his men with him, and they came to the woman by night, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you the woman said, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why are you laying a trap for me to bring about my death? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, <laughs> not only is he going to try to predict the future by not by the Lord, but by evil means, he does it by invoking whose name? God's name. He says, you know, um, you know by my loyalty to the, to the one true God, I won't harm you for doing this thing for me. <laughs> you know, that's the whole, don't use my name in vain. You know, curse, swear, you satanic arts, liar, deceived by God's name. And here he does. All right, who do you want me to bring up for you? Bring up Samuel for me, he says. You know, he doesn't just want anybody you know, he doesn't just want, you know, give me somebody who will tell me what's going on. He wants Samuel to talk to. Well, okay. Verse 12, and, uh, do I have this in here? Yeah. Uh, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. She sees that, you know, what's really happening. The king said, don't be afraid. What do you see? Which tells you what, Saul can't see it. You know, she's she's having the vision, or she's seeing the thing, he doesn't. And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth, an image. What does he look like? An old man coming up, wrapped in a robe. Oh, that could be, uh, well, just about anybody. <laughs> you know, you get these mediums on TV and stuff like that, and they talk in such general terms about things that it, whatever, you want them to, whatever you want them to be saying, you can read into it that that's what they're saying, and they play off of that. She's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, Saul wanted it to be Samuel, and so when she said, an old man wrapped in a robe, is, I see him, Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Maybe he should have done that while he was still alive. Uh, Samuel said, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are against us. God turned away. Answers no more. I've summoned you up to tell me what I should do. Now, Dean, you probably got a question at this point. Um, well, here's the big question. Is it Samuel or is it not? Oh, you think it is? Oh, that's interesting. Um... Well, Saul wants it to be Samuel, and as far as the writer is concerned, you know, by addressing it and saying, you know, Samuel said and Samuel said and Samuel said, um, I don't think that necessarily means that by divine inspiration the author is saying it was in fact Samuel. I think what it's saying is, it's exactly what Saul wanted to see and to experience. He may even, you know, because Saul didn't see anything. Um, and so the one that Saul called Samuel, if you will, um, tells him these things and says these things. We know from the New Testament in particular that God does not send the dead back to speak to the living. There's a great chasm that is fixed, so none can cross from here to there. Um, the, The rich man and Lazarus, the rich man wanted them to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers not to follow in their evil ways so that they wouldn't end up in hell. And, and Abraham said, can't do it. Yeah, Saul, Saul, Saul puts on different robes to hide himself. Well, no, he says, why have you tricked me? You're actually, you know, the, the God comes up and she says, wait a minute, you've tricked me. You're Saul and you're asking me to do this thing. And Saul's the one who's been killing all the, the mediums and the necromancers and things. The woman sees Samuel and, and says to Saul, you tricked me, you're not just anybody, you're actually Saul. Now you're going to try to kill me or something. So there's this thing there, and it, she sees it, it talks to, his, to, uh, to Saul, the, an image of Samuel. You know, what people see or experience as far as spirits or the supernatural, um, you know there are indeed, there is indeed a supernatural world. And if you'd like to read a book about it, there's you know, $13. It's in the <laughs> it's in the Narthex there. Pick it up because you know what we realize is, what does Satan do best? He lies. And how does he lie? He he comes in the form of things that we maybe want him to come as, and The, you know, what did I say to somebody? They they are like, so you don't believe in ghosts? I said, no, I don't believe in ghosts. He said, well, then do you think these experiences are false? He said, no, but I don't believe in ghosts, demons, disguising as different things, trying to deceive us, lead us away, um, confirm us and tell us things that we want to know and see and hear, because that's all they can do is lie. Um, And that's what Saul is experiencing here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, she definitely saw something. Saul definitely hears something, but it's not Samuel, and it's not a message from the true God because every time Samuel had come to Saul and said something to him, it was always calling for repentance, for a turn of attitude, for a returning to what had been. even when he condemned him and said, "The Lord is you know torn the kingdom away from you." The whole idea was that uh, to to repent and come back from it. Well, the, the image says, um, the Lord has turned away from you, become your enemy. Well, that's true. You know, that's where Satan always starts. Um, he's torn the kingdom out of your hand, given it to your neighbor David because you didn't obey. You know, all this, all this is interesting and it's all factual stuff. It's all really what's happened. It's because, you know, it's not that Satan doesn't know reality of things that has, have happened, but, um, but there is no um there is no call to repentance, there is no really pointing him back to the true God, it's just simply the the voice of judgment against him. And that's that's a good indicator that this is not a message from the Lord, but a, a deception uh from, from Satan. So, you know, Saul had, had trouble with evil spirits before, right? You know the harmful spirits that were coming upon him. That David had to play his harp and and chase away and things. Because when you know when, when the Holy Spirit withdraws, that only leaves room for for unclean spirits. So. And just real quick, finally, um, the death of Saul. Chapter thirty-one. He goes up against the Philistines. They lose. Um, the sons of Saul are dead including Jonathan and um verse 4 Saul said to his armor-bearer draw your sword thrust it through thrust me through with it lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me but he would not for he feared greatly so Saul took his own sword and fell on it and then when he um and then when the armor-bearer saw that the, that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died with him. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 1, David hears of the death of Saul. Um, and... Uh, Verse, um, you know, David gets the news from this Amalekite, chapters tw- uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. David, verse 14, David said to him, How is it you were not afraid when you put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And he called the young men and said, Go and execute him. And uh, for I have killed the Lord's anointed. So he was trying to make it like he had actually killed him. So kind of an interesting story there. So Saul is dead. Well, yeah. Um, Well, he was trying to make it like he had done it or that he had somehow not prevented it or something. And he should have, you know, like David was very protective of Saul, even against his own men. And I think that was sort of that final way to express that is, you know, you weren't afraid when you said you were going to come upon him and kill him, so shame on you. So next we'll look at um, David, David's kingship. In particular, we'll look at um, David and Bathsheba, some of David's kids, and then uh, transfer of rule to Solomon after that. That's next week.